What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Dave, and welcome back to the Mike and Dave Podcast. And we've done it. We've hit it. Episode 10, double digits, baby. It's been really fun so far uh, with my guy, Mike, uh, just to get on here, talk about sports, do something that we love to do. And uh, yeah, now we've reached 10 episodes, which is pretty cool um, that we've gotten to this point. And I don't think we have any plans on stopping anytime soon. What's up, guys? Mike here. Episode 10. Let's get it. All right, let's get right into it. We've got plenty of segments for you. What else would you expect from episode 10? We're, we're used to this now. You know, it's, it's kind of our thing. We do this. We're out here. It's Mike and Dave on the Mike and Dave podcast. We've been out here for months now, grinding. Putting in that work. You know what I'm saying? And we've been putting in work on the podcast. And this weekend, we were putting in work in our fantasy drafts. And we're excited to let you know how those drafts went. Dave, how you feeling after the draft? Well, I got the number one overall pick. So, pretty good, baby. Uh, I got myself some Christian McCaffrey. You know, I love some CMC. Honestly, my team is kind of stacked. Like, low-key, I've got Christian McCaffrey. I've got Joe Mixon. DeAndre Hopkins. Adam Thielen. My guy, Kyle Pitts. I'm expecting big things from him this year. And of course, at QB, the GOAT, Tom Brady. And then, you know, I've also got some some decent backup options as well. I'm not going to run through my entire team, but those are some highlights. Also, Cooper Cup is going is in my flex right now, so I'm excited about that. But yeah, I think it went pretty well for, um, for where I'm standing. And um, I, I've got a good... I've got a good feeling about my team name as well. So the reason why that's funny is that my team name is I've got a feeling, you know, I've got a feeling. Woo. You know, that song anyways. (laughs) um, So yeah, so I've got a good feeling about my team this year. Uh, Yeah. Looking for big things. As we said on the last episode, we always name our teams after one of our players. So there's Dave's team name for this year. I've got a Thielen after Minnesota receiver Adam Thielen. I ended up with the seventh pick, which is only like three lower than I wanted. I like to draft at four because I'm just of the opinion that like if you're in that top four, you're going to be all right. And if you're at four, you don't have to wait as long in a snake draft to get back to your next pick. But at seven, I was still able to get the best tight end in football in Travis Kelsey, so I'm hype about that. I also have Antonio Gibson, Miles Sanders as my running backs, as well as Josh Jacobs. I've got Allen Robinson and Robbie Anderson, who consistently put in numbers at that receiver position. And a couple other players of note, Devontae Smith, who, we've, who we have talked about several times. I have Antonio Brown, who, although I don't like him as a person, this is one of those upside picks where this he he could have a season where he emerges as a huge target in Tampa Bay more than he was last year. Like, you know, now that he's getting 
he's going into his second season there. He's actually getting like more practices and everything, a preseason, more time with Tom Brady, etc. Especially if an injury emerges to someone like Chris Godwin or Mike Evans, which I'm not hoping for. Don't get it twisted like that. He could emerge as, as an even bigger option. And at QB, someone else that we've talked about a decent amount, Justin Herbert. And got to get a Falcon, right? Dave, you've got Kyle Pitts. I've got our kicker, Young Way Koo. The namesake of my team. Never thought I'd name my team after a kicker, but here we go. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. There it is. Hey, I mean, if you're going to name your team after a kicker, might as well be the best kicker in the league. My guy. Um, anyways, so yeah, so that's that's how our um, how our teams are looking like. We also co-own a team as well, um, which we also did the draft for. Um, feeling pretty decent about that one as well. Um, got Jalen Hurts at QB, Nick Chubb and James Robinson at running backs. So feeling pretty good about that. And our receiver tandem, Devontae Adams and Mike Evans. It's hard to really get better than that as well. Um, it kind of thins out from there, but we do have a couple guys we've talked about a lot on the podcast. We've got Jamar Chase, looking for big things for him from him in his rookie year. And we've got Cortland Sutton, who I highlighted as well, coming off of that ACL injury, looking for big things from him in Denver as well. And of course, the namesake of our team, Miles Gaskin. So we had to name it Gaskin All Them Questions making statements assuming if you know what that's from you are a real og hit us up on facebook or instagram or whatever if you actually know where that's from and you can be our friend yeah uh we'll probably be friends if you know where that's from um so anyways um so yeah that's how that team's looking like and really excited you know by the time this comes out the first week of games would have been played um Right now, as we're sitting here, really looking forward to the NFL season kicking off. One of my favorite times of the year is fall. And one of the big reasons for that is football being back. Um, so, yeah, just really excited about this time of year and getting back into it. We've mentioned this before, but hit us up on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Mike and Dave Pod. If you need advice or if you have questions for your fantasy football team. This is something that we love to do. It's something that we feel like we have a lot of advice to give and to share. So any questions that you have, any tips that you're looking for, we are more than happy to provide. Just hit us up with your roster and we can help you out as much as we can. If you heard our team names and you're like, man, those are really good team names. Uh, and you're looking at your own team name and being like, dang, this one's kind of trash com in comparison. Don't worry. Send me your roster and I will come up with an amazing team name for you. I'm not normally like a super like confident, like cocky person, but when it comes down to naming fantasy football teams, I like, I back myself. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, so definitely send those our way. Um, so that's going to be it for the intro. When we come back, we're going to reintroduce, uh, a different segment, one that we've only done one time before, but we really enjoyed when we did it top five. So we'll be right back. All right, we're back. And we are bringing with us an old segment, Top 5. So on episode 5, we each broke down our top 5 favorite moments in sports that we've personally witnessed or that we got to see like in real time. This week, we're getting into our top 5 favorite NFL players of all time. With the same 
parameters. We've seen all of these players in real time, like playing on live TV in front of us. So we're not going all the way back to like the 80s or 90s or whatever. So, Dave, let's hear it. Your top five favorite NFL players of all time. All right. So starting at number five, the only defensive player who makes the list. Quick shout out to all defensive players. I'm not saying that I like offense more than defense. It's just that's just the way that it worked out. But number five, one of the best linebackers, not the best linebacker I've ever seen. Luke Keekley. Now, Luke Keekley is one of the more cerebral players I think that's ever played football. His intelligence, his commitment, his drive were evident every time he took the field. Opposing teams had to know where he was at all times, had to account for him at all times. And he would pretty much call out the plays and call out the audibles when the quarterbacks made the audibles. Like, he just watched so much film and was just had such a high IQ for the game. Uh, it was just great to watch. And of course he was an amazing, um, like he used that IQ and paired that with his amazing athletic ability. Um, just making him, in my opinion, one of the more complete linebackers, if not the most complete linebacker that the game's ever seen. Unfortunately, he had to retire someone early due to concussions. Um, but while he was on the field, there was no one better. Um, and I say that he was a division rival of the Falcons as well. He played for the Panthers his whole career. So definitely respect respected him as an opponent and as a football player. Number four, the consummate professional on and off the field, Larry Fitzgerald. Right As of right now, I believe he's still a free agent. Um, I don't know if that's by choice or if he's just waiting for the right opportunity or what what have you, but Larry Fitzgerald will bring a lot more than just the safest pair of hands I've ever seen to your football team. He will bring leadership. He'll bring experience. He'll bring poise. He'd be able to teach all of your young receivers and just all of your players in general, how they should act both as a football player and as a man. Um, I just love me some Larry Fitzgerald. He's been such, such a good player for such a long time. Um, his numbers are up there with some of the best receivers ever shoe and hall of famer. Um, and just one of the good guys. Number three, our first Falcon on the list, Tony Gonzalez, Tony G, AKA the best tight end of all time. I know some people might say Rob Gronkowski. I don't want to hear that talk. Tony Gonzalez is the man, um, him dunking all over the, uh, the uprights. One of my favorite sites to to see um, as I was growing up watching football. Just, again, one of those really good guys in the locker room. Um, super safe pair of hands as well. Um, obviously very athletic for a tight end. And in some ways kind of revolutionized that tight end position being a guy who would be the number one target in, in the offense. Obviously with the Chiefs, with the Falcons. Um, like I said, in my opinion best tight end to ever play the game. Number two, the only Florida state player on this list, current Minnesota Viking Dalvin cook. Now it's still early. Um, and I will say that part of it is because of his college career. And I know we're saying NFL players, but Dalvin cook is one of my favorite players to watch in the NFL today. 
if not my favorite player to watch. He is the best explosive uh, game-changing running back in the game today. Uh, and I don't think it's close. I think he's the type of guy where you put the ball in his hands and he can score a touchdown at any given time. Um, his speed, his vision, his acceleration are all unmatched. The only thing that he has going against him is health. He just hasn't been able to play a full season, but if he can watch out, I think he could hit 2000 yards easily. And uh, on that team where opposing defenses have to account for uh, Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, I think he's going to be able to find a lot of holes and hopefully have an amazing year this year. But yeah, Dalvin's one of my favorite players and he hasn't even been in the league very long. So I, I can't wait to see what he does moving forward. Number one, in my opinion, maybe the best Atlanta Falcon ever. Uh, and unfortunately, he's as of this offseason, he is no longer an Atlanta Falcon. Julio Jones. Um, what can I say? Maybe the most gifted athlete at the wide receiver position ever. Maybe him and Megatron. Um, I mean, Julio was faster than everybody, more physical than everybody, ran amazing routes. Uh, and of course managed to not be a diva at the wide receiver position. Even with some of the like the drama that happened this past offseason, I don't even blame him for that because he put everything that he had into the Falcons organization. Even in the Super Bowl win, he made one of the best catches in Super Bowl history. He played his butt off and our team let him down. And our team consistently let him down over the course of all of his years here. And it's just... It was just really hard to watch him leave, but completely understandable. All I'm going to say is as a Falcons fan, watching Julio dominate on Sundays was always uh, just so fun to watch. And again, as a teammate and as as a leader in that locker room, he was uh, just a, a great face of the franchise for us, um, along with Matt Ryan. So best of luck to Julio in Tennessee and... Um, I hope they win the Super Bowl, honestly. Like, if it's not the Falcons then and it's not the Vikings, then I'm cheering for the Titans because Julio deserves it. So those are my top five. Luke Keekley, Larry Fitzgerald, Tony Gonzalez, Dalvin Cook, and Julio Jones. I like that list. I'll say right now, Larry Fitzgerald is number six on mine. I love Larry Fitzgerald. Sh- sure-handed, absolutely. First ballot Hall of Famer. He holds one of my favorite stats in sports, which is over the course of his career, which is a long career. He has more tackles than drops and he plays offense. So he can only, he only really gets tackles if quarterback throws an interception or someone fumbles. That's how pretty much guaranteed it is that if you throw it to him, he catches it. If he has a shot at it. Also love Tony Gonzalez. Um, as for him being the best tight end ever, yeah, <laughs> I agree. Um, if we're going to talk about Gronk, I would say this. It becomes a matter of like, Gronk may have hit a higher peak. In, in fact, I'm going to somewhat confidently say that. I think Gronk at his best was better than Tony G at his best. But we have to talk about long, longevity. And Tony Gonzalez peaked for a much longer period of time. Um, and did it at a much more consistent level with much 
lower quality quarterback play. Let's just say it. Uh, Gronk has been blessed to have the goat throwing it to him his entire career. And of course, we did the farewell episode for Julio because we both love Julio. Julio's great. My top five. Number five. Ladanian Tomlinson. LT, running back for the Chargers, is like the first or one of the first players I can remember watching growing up. His his running was electric. Basically, what you said about Dalvin is what was being said about LT at the time. That on any given play, he can take it the distance. He can turn nothing into something. And to just like grow up being able to watch him on a team that like, it's not my team or anything. So it was an example of, yes, I'm growing up and learning to root for the Falcons. But there's this running back on the other side of the country that's doing these amazing things with this amazing attitude with this like great personality like in press release in press conferences and everything he's just fun to watch being fun to watch and just having a fun personality takes me to number 4 Chad Johnson who later became known as Chad Ochocinco <laughs> Bengals wide receiver first of all dude's hilarious like, let's not pretend that this guy is not pure entertainment, but he is, or he was gifted at getting open. He has some of the cleanest routes and the most amazing footwork that I've ever seen from a receiver. He would stop on a dime, cut back, and leave defenders in the dust, just like looking around, like wondering where he went. And of course, there's that like great story about like, he would call coaches at 3 a.m. just to say, hey, I'm open, and then hang up the phone. Oh. Not to mention, like, even if he didn't get wide open, he could still just go up and catch it over you. There wasn't really anything that Chad Johnson couldn't do as a wide receiver. You'd even throw him a screen, uh, throw him a screen pass, and he'd take off with it. And this is just one of those receivers that made football so fun for me to watch number three one of two defenders on my list troy palomalu pretty much his whole career it was just him and ed reed if you were talking about safeties the conversation pretty much started and ended there it was those two dominating the league for their entire careers pretty much palomalu played with so much heart but some of his highlights, I think people forget how insane some of these plays that he make that he used to make are. You could look at the interception where he dives underneath and scoops it from like two inches off the field. But what comes to mind more than anything with Troy Polamalu is jumping over the line of scrimmage. Basically, he started his jump before the snap and wasn't offsides. Like that's how well he was able to time the snap count and that comes what you were saying about luke keekley with all the film study that's where that comes from with troy palomalu but i i like the answer that his peers used to give and that was like god was talking to him like i can't remember who it was but there was an interview i think it was someone on the ravens that said like 
yeah, when you're facing Polamalu, you have to be careful because sometimes God will just tell him when we're about to snap it or he'll tell him what plays we're about to run because he just ends up in the right place. Uh, you remember when Malcolm Butler had the Super Bowl inter- winning interception and he was like, yeah, I just, I recognize the formation and like, this wasn't the play that was drawn up, but I just knew that I needed to be in this spot at this time. That was Polamalu on a weekly basis. I don't think enough can be said about the work that he put in. And when you hear him talk, just sportsmanship exemplified. His his personality doesn't really match his play style. You he's so aggressive and like dominant and hard hitting. But then he talk you talk to him and he's like, Yeah, everyone is great. Like I I, I hope everyone enjoyed playing with me. I'm like, Troy, you're a gem. Now for number two and one, we're gonna get into my Michigan players. Number two. 1997's Heisman Trophy winner, Charles Woodson, mainly of the Green Bay Packers and then Oakland Raiders. Well, first of all, at Michigan, this was, and I mean, this was before my time of really watching football, but this was a guy that played literally all three uh, parts of the game. He was returning on special teams. He was moving all over the field on defense. Like technically could line up at linebacker, but we typically saw him at corner and safety in college. And then he even lined up at receiver and even a couple times at running back. Like this is a gifted athlete. Then he comes in, into the NFL and every week he's shutting down, like pretty much shutting down that half of the field. This is a wizard a magician at reading the quarterback's eyes, first of all, but like his mind. He just has a nose for where the ball is going to go. And even when that didn't translate into interceptions, it often translated into like deflections or otherwise disrupting the passing game by um, hitting the receiver, preventing him from catching the ball as a result. And then now, like after his retirement, I get to see him on TV, like uh, whether it's talking about the NFL or talking about like Big Ten football. And anyone that makes it to the NFL knows about football, but some guys are just on another level in terms of their knowledge of the game and how it works. And this is the kind of player and now analyst that Charles Woodson is. And number one, was there any doubt for a second? Tom Brady, the GOAT. I'm going to talk the least about him because the least needs to be said. Tom Brady is better than everybody. He knows or he prepares more than anybody. He puts in more work than anybody. And frankly, it shows on a week to week basis on a year to year basis and wait for it a decade to decade basis. This man has been doing it since 2000. We were five or I was five years old. And I was turning six when he started his career. One thing that needs to be said about Brady and his greatness and work ethic is, as many know, he was pick number 199. This isn't like Trevor Lawrence coming out where he's this intensely praised, highly anticipated prospect that goes number one overall and is instantly starting. He came out and had to work for it, and as soon as he got the opportunity, he took advantage and has been starting and tearing up defenses pretty much ever since. 
seven rings and he's responsible for one of my favorite phrases to say and one of the ones that annoys you the most goat behavior just as one example and then i'm done it's a buccaneers preseason game this year keep in mind brady's in season like 22 and he's 44 years old what do we see in like the fourth quarter of a preseason game Tom Brady on the sideline working with a backup center, making sure his snaps are completely right, making sure they're 100% on point. This isn't just someone that makes himself better and puts himself in every position to succeed. It's someone that makes sure his teammates are as well. He needs to make sure that everyone is prepared so that they are ready to go out and do the damn thing. And this is someone that's made sacrifices his whole career, uh, taking pay cuts so that to put his team first. You just can't say enough about the excellence on and off the field that is Tom Brady. I think he understands more than anyone that it is a team game, and he understands that he'll do his part, but he needs everybody else to do their part in order for them to achieve their goal. And, um, like, what a leader. Um, you said seven rings. That's more than any NFL franchise has, and he's just one player. So, like, that's that's an absolutely crazy stat as well. And, um, I mean, what more can you say about Tom Brady that hasn't already been said? Yeah, I, I like your list as well. Definitely some, like, older players than... I had a lot more, like, current players, I think. Um, but, but yeah, I think pretty solid. Ch- Chad Ochocinco is an interesting one. I think that one's, a, that one's a pretty fun one to have on your list. Um, and, of course, Polamalu, which... What's crazy about Polamalu is that people probably remember the head and shoulders commercials more than they do the inter- the interceptions. <laughs> like, low-key. That's wrong. But, like, the commercials were pretty good, and he did have the hair, <laughs> so you gotta, you know, there's something to be said for that. But, but yeah, so that wraps up our uh, this segment of Top 5. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to give you some of our big takeaways from Week 1 of the college football season. All right, and we are back, and we are actually going to talk about college football a little bit. That season just started up at the time that we're recording this. So we've, we're coming off week one and we want to talk about just some of the games that we think are noteworthy, some key takeaways that we have from that. So Dave, in true football fashion, I'm going to go ahead and kick this off to you. All right. So we already know this every year, Alabama, Sends off a bunch of players to the NFL. And then they never seem to lose a step. Again, they just retool, reload, and it's like, all right, time to be the best team in the country again. Nick Saban's like, all right, I'll get y'all ready to compete. We'll run it back again. I swear, they just have like five-star recruits getting Nick Saban water on the bench. Like, this is Alabama football. Uh... You know, you got to respect it. Whether you like it or not, you got to respect it. And of course, I'm talking about them absolutely destroying the University of Miami in their opening game. Uh, as a Florida State fan, thank you very much, Nick Saban. Thank you, Tuscaloosa. I appreciate it. Nothing like seeing Miami get knocked down a peg. That uh, makes my heart very happy. Roll Tide. There you go. Bryce Young coming in. 344 passing yards, four touchdowns, no turnovers. 
making his Heisman statement. And when you play for Alabama, usually you don't just have one player in the Heisman conversation. Sometimes you have two or three, but I think Bryce Young right now, he's the guy to watch. Um, Alabama just coming out, doing their thing. Like I said, I think the SEC in general, LSU flopped, but for the most part, the SEC did their thing. So another year of college football, kind of the same old story. Alabama dominating, SEC winning these big games. Of course, uh, we had UGA beating Clemson as well. And that huge matchup between those two teams, Georgia got the job done and put themselves in a really good position. And Clemson, I think they still have got a chance to make the college football playoff if they went out. Uh, Losing to Georgia isn't the end of the world. But they've got a lot of work to do, obviously, especially on offense. Putting up three points is not good enough. Not the most exciting game if you're thirsty for offense. But if you're the type of person that loves a defensive battle, then this is the game for you. Go ahead and rewatch that game because that's all that this game was, a defensive fight. And there is a part of me that loves games like that. You mentioned LSU flopping and the SEC otherwise being good, except for Vandy, just to mention the fact that they lost to East Tennessee State. They started off up 3 nothing, and then sacrificed 23 unanswered to lose 23-3. to I feel like Vanderbilt's that kid who like gets included um, just so like everybody else can just beat up on him, you know? <laughs> Like he, they're like, here, you can join our club, but like, we're going to bully you the whole time. I feel like that's what Vanderbilt's become, which is sad. Cause like, I know I've known people who go to Vanderbilt. Um, I actually work with some, some, some of our interns actually go to Vanderbilt. So like, sorry, but they're probably not listening to this, but yeah, it, it it's kind of sad. East Tennessee. It's not even middle Tennessee state. It's East Tennessee state. I agree too. Like, one of my old roommates, one of the smartest people I know, goes to Vandy. It just it's not a they're not known for their football, let's be real. Yeah. They're, oh. they're not Luke Keekley. They're not Troy Polamalu. They can't translate that IQ to the football field. <laughs> um you did mention Bama Miami. And Bama won that forty four to thirteen. And the only thing I want to add to that is like you talked about Bama's dominance. Obviously, Bama was number was ranked number one for a reason. Miami was ranked 14th, and they still got beat 44 to 13. That just goes to show like how good Alabama is and how overrated Miami is. It's one thing to win; it's another to just beat down a team that's not ranked that far below you. Uh, there are levels to this, and Alabama is on another one. 100 percent. Now, you're talking about levels. Obviously, we've got the Power 5 conferences for now. Uh, Stay tuned until 2025, and we'll see what happens between now and then. But you've also got the Group of 5 conferences as well. And there's usually one team, one or two teams from the Group of 5 that looks like they have a chance to potentially crack that top four teams, uh, make it into the college football playoff. And this year, it's Cincinnati. Now, Cincinnati is led by quarterback Desmond Ritter, who is a bona fide Heisman Trophy candidate. And he showed that in their first game. They played Miami, Ohio, which they do every year. Side note, fun fact. 
they started playing these two teams started playing each other in 1888 and with Cincinnati's 49 to 14 win they ended up tying it 59 and 59 and 7 so it's all wrapped up um, or it's all tied up which is pretty interesting but yeah Desmond Ritter 20 of 25 for 295 yards and four touchdowns just an absolute beatdown of Miami Ohio and of course the big question that's always going to be asked of these group of five teams, is their schedule worthy of being one of the top four teams in the country? And looking at their schedule, they don't have a ton of tough opposition, but they do face, at the time of recording this, number eight Notre Dame um, in week four. That's going to be a huge game with a ton of playoff implications. If Cincinnati goes into that game, whoops up on the Fighting Irish, and then continuously uh, continuously shows their dominance throughout their rest of their schedule where they're fa- I mean they face a few decent teams like they face UCF they're facing Tulane as well who obviously gave Oklahoma some fits in their opening game obviously it's not the same type of schedule like that Clemson or that Georgia uh or Michigan would play for instance but if they continuously show their dominance I don't see why especially if teams from the SEC, Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12, if these teams just cannibalize each other and they all, you know, they all have one to two losses, then maybe Cincinnati does sneak into that conversation and finally we'll have a group of five team be in that college football playoff and be able to show that they can compete with the big with the big guns. So I was very impressed by Desmond Ritter and Cincinnati this this weekend and circling that Notre Dame game on my calendar because as we saw uh, this past weekend or I guess when you're listening to this two weekends ago um, Notre Dame maybe not quite as good as people expected or Florida State is better than we expected as a Florida State fan that game was really interesting to watch Notre Dame ended up pulling out the win but Florida State made a great comeback showed a lot of fight which is something that could not be said in the godforsaken Willie Taggart era. Let's just wipe that from the history books if possible. Um, I, I like where the program's going with under Mike Norvell. And we all, we also saw one of the better stories in college football that I've ever heard or seen. Um, and that's of course, Mackenzie Milton returning from his injury to lead the, the Seminoles to complete that comeback and tie the tie up the game. Um, that was just a really special moment to watch for me. If you're unfamiliar with Mackenzie Milton, he was previously playing at UCF when they were like tearing it up in their, in their conference. And he had led them to 23 straight victories when he suffered this like horrible uh, leg injury. And doctors said they'd never seen like a recovery, anything like it. They thought, the chances of him being able to walk again were somewhat low, let alone him being able to play football. And that's just talking about practice, practice, talking about practice, not the game, but practice. But he, he was ready for the moment. He put in the work rehabbing that it's almost like a college version of what we saw with Alex Smith, uh, where he worked his way back. He put in, I hate to overuse this, but like, or to use an overused phrase, but he put in the blood, sweat, and tears to get back 
to where he wanted to be. And that was just really powerful to watch. Yeah, and we should mention that this happened in November of 2018. So it's been a very, very long time since he took or since he set foot on a football field in an actual game. And he came in, immediately completed <clears throat> a 20-something yard pass, and led the the Seminoles to a touchdown on his first drive. Like, no time had passed. It was very, very impressive. And even though Florida State couldn't pull out the win, really, really happy for him and his family and everyone who was involved with his recovery. It's a really cool story. And even though that it was a loss, 41-38, to uh, Florida State did show that um, I think they're going to be more competitive this year. And like we were saying before, Notre Dame, definitely a lot of chinks in that armor. Um, they've got to button that up really quick. Looking at their schedule, it's not going to be easy. Um, obviously, they're facing Cincinnati, but they've also got Wisconsin on the schedule, Virginia Tech, USC, UNC, <laughs> Georgia Tech. Huh. Um, but yeah, they, they've got a decent, you know, decently tough schedule. And if they don't button up some of these issues, then uh, it could be difficult for them. Um, and their college football playoff hopes could definitely be dashed. And speaking of Notre Dame needing to button some things up, we're going to do things a little bit differently this episode and just transition into the hot seat right now because we've got one fired up head coach. Um, fire it up on the hot seat. Uh, anyways, uh, none other than Notre Dame head coach, Brian Kelly, Mike, it, just in case you didn't hear what he said, um, tell the listeners what Brian Kelly said about his team after the game against Florida state. First, I just want to say this. We were watching this game, like from start to finish. And we knew the second that we heard it, we just looked at each other and went, that's the hot seat. No, ch- no chance anything's passing that. So there's an old saying that goes something like a good coach is never completely satisfied. There's always something to improve. But he was asked about Notre Dame's ability or lack thereof to hold off Florida State, like rallying back against them. And he said, I'm in favor of execution. Maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. We just didn't execute very well. So, you almost lose a football game sentenced to death, according to head coach Brian Kelly. Now, it's been fun watching him do what he probably gets his corners to do in practice, backpedal really quickly. He's gone on to say, like, it was a joke. You do, you don't say, Brian Kelly. You, I, you, I thought you were serious. Thanks for clearing that up. But he says he's he says that he was referencing uh, Hall of Fame Tampa Bay Buccaneers coach John McKay, who once said in 1976, he was asked when asked about his team's execution, he said. I'm in favor of it. So like, obviously, yeah, he was referencing that. Like he didn't like by happenstance quote him and then expand on it. But 
it was a little extreme, especially in the moment where um, I, if I had heard of that quote before, then I had forgotten about it. We were just kind of like looking at each other like, did he really just say that out loud? You just see like the reporter just being like struggling, just be like, wait, what? <laughs> just like smiling and nodding, just like internally, just like, what did he say? Am I going to be like, is this going to go viral? Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, to be fair, he did have a point. Notre Dame should not have let Florida State get back into the game like they did. But I will say um, their quarterback, Jack Cohn, played amazingly well. Um especially at, at being his first game at the position for them. But yeah, Brian Kelly um, definitely finding himself on the hot seat this week. And like you said, been doing some damage control ever since, but what's said has been said. Um, and we'll just have to see if Notre Dame does uh, execute better in the coming weeks. Imagine being the kicker on that team. Just like, dude. I just hit the game-winning field goal. I can't do my job any better. What do you mean I should be executed? <laughs> Speaking of kickers, can we just mention, to Florida State's credit, like, well, hang on, a member of Florida State's credit, the kicker in overtime hit the field goal as his coach was calling a timeout, and that would have put them up to start overtime. And then the timeout like ruined it. And then he had to go back and kick again and then missed like that's kind of rough on that coach. Like, dude, you had to watch that like significant kick go through just to have it called back and then look back on it now and go, if I had shut up. Yeah. Well, what's, what's interesting is that they actually won their like challenge yeah. of it being ruled an incomplete pass. And so the field goal was actually a lot shorter than the one that he made, but he had to spend so long thinking about it that he ended up just uh, missing the target and Florida state ended up obviously allowing a field goal and, and losing that game. It's one of those things where it definitely made sense for him to do that. But that's, that's the rough part about being a, a coach, a head coach is you got to make those decisions. And, Sometimes it's unclear as to which which ones are the right ones. So, like I said, what I did like from Mike Norvell was uh, the fact that Florida State actually showed some life. Like, they actually cared. And that's been missing for the past, like, five years, to be honest. Um, so, that was nice to see. Yeah, we'll just have to see moving forward if, that's, if that continues. Um, or if they just keep racking up the losses. Speaking of racking up the losses, I say after a win, uh, let's talk about Michigan. Just because, you know, that's my team through bad times and worse times. Because <laughs> we don't get good times. So, week one. Charles Woodson won Heisman Trophy. Yeah. When you were like three. It was only 24 years ago. <laughs> Tom Brady went to Michigan. Yeah, <laughs> he did, didn't he? <laughs> okay. Oh. Anyway. Jabril Peppers was a bright spot. Um, but we beat Western Michigan 47-14. to 14. I couldn't care less. Uh, <laughs> here's why. 
it's twofold. Number one, Ronnie Bell, our star receiver, second best player on the team behind Aiden Hutchinson, returning punts, which right before this play, I was literally like, wow, you know, if I were coaching Michigan or any football team for that matter, I would never have my star receiver or running back or whatever returning kicks or punts. It just seems like an unnecessary risk, especially in a game that you're not going to need that. Like it's Western Michigan. I don't care how poorly Michigan has like been playing in the past few years. I'm no one's going into that game worried. We don't need to put our best player or our best offensive player out to return punts. We'll be fine. We have other athletes. Sure enough, that play, knee injury, out for the season. So, that's cool. Like, you know, um, sure, we still beat Western Michigan. Who the hell cares? Like, because here's part two. The reality of the situation is we are a laughing stock. Because we can't beat Ohio State. Ohio State could suspend its entire team, bring in a local middle school, and that middle school would then beat Michigan. Michigan has beat Ohio State three times this century. Like, it was like 2000, or like, I think it was 2003, 2007, 2011. It's pathetic. Um, we have gone through literally two full classes of players without beating them. And as a result, I can't go into a season optimistic. It's not just a rival game. It's one thing if, um, let's say, I don't know, let's say Georgia consistently loses to Alabama in the regular season every year. If they do that, well, and and win every other game, they will still have a shot to be in the college football playoffs and get a chance at redemption, yada, yada, yada. If Michigan wins every, sing, every single game of the season and then loses to Ohio State, because it's Ohio State and it's the last game of our season every year, that would eliminate us from college football playoff cont- uh, contention. Just point blank, period. And we can't beat Ohio State. So until we beat Ohio State, we don't have a shot at doing anything in the postseason. And nothing convinces me that can we that we can beat Ohio State because we always forget how to play football. So now we don't even have our best receiver. I, What am I supposed to get excited about? Ooh, we beat Western Michigan. And in a few weeks, maybe we'll beat Illinois. Ooh. Like, I don't care. It sucks being a football fan. And knowing from the beginning, like, oh, season's already over because I can't trust this team to beat Ohio State until they prove it, and they never do. So, prayers for Ronnie Bell. I hope he makes a, a full recovery. I don't even give a shit about him playing for Michigan. It That's not why I want him to recover. I want him to recover because he's a good kid, and, a good kid, and he deserves every opportunity to make a career in the NFL. He was surely going to be a mid-round pick. And I want him to succeed. 
you don't, he doesn't deserve to waste any more time losing to big games at Michigan. I I wish all the best for him, but I don't. There's nothing good of note is going to come from Michigan this year. I'll just say one thing. There's definitely like fatigue from being an Atlanta sports fan. Uh, for all of us Atlanta sports fans out there, and if you're listening and you are one, you know what I'm talking about. But but with Michigan football, there's just something else that happens to Mike where it's just if you mention Michigan football, you can just you can just like see him deflate. You can just like hear the resignation in his voice of just like, yep, here we go again. Ohio State losing every year. It's just like, it's just, if that felt like a that's disrespectful segment, but like there was nothing to be disrespectful about. You were just like, every, anytime you talk about Michigan, it's it's that. Let me put it this way to adequately explain how deflated I am. Last year, in a COVID-reduced season, Michigan went 2-4. and four. And in 10 years, I haven't been happier as a Michigan fan because it's the only, the only way we could not lose to Ohio State was by not playing them. I was like hoping so hard our season would get canceled. And when it did, I was like one of probably four people on planet Earth that was like, yes, no more football. We don't have to lose to Ohio State this year. Yes. When you get that hype about two and four, that's what it's like to be a Michigan fan. So until Michigan beats Ohio State in 36 years, roll tide. Well, I think that wraps up, that about <laughs> wraps up this segment of our college football takeaways from week one and the hot seat. Um, we'll be back to hopefully lighten the mood a little bit with my fun fact. So stick around. All right, we've talked about our fantasy teams. We've talked about our favorite NFL players. We've talked about college football. But Dave, I want to learn something right now. And so I'm looking to you for that fun fact of the episode. What do we got? You going to learn today, boy. I'm here to tell you that I'm not sure if you really wanted to learn about this, but you're going to because this is my segment and I do what I want. This episodes fun fact is actually a few fun facts and maybe the segment is taking a little bit of a left turn because we're talking about nascar now all i've got to say is that this is probably gonna be the only time we ever talk about nascar on the podcast um unless a nascar driver does something dumb that warrants being on the hot seat good but i just wanted to I just wanted to give some interesting facts about NASCAR um, that actually made me respect the drivers and the sport a little bit more. So, fun fact number one. When they're on a straightaway on the track, NASCAR drivers in one second travel 293 feet, almost the length of a football field. In one second, Basically go from one end of the football field to the other. That's pretty crazy. Now when they get to the turns, they can experience three G's of force against their bodies, which is comparable 
to the force press the forces pressing down on shuttle astronauts at liftoff when they're about to go into space. And there are a lot of turns during these. I don't know too much about NASCAR, but I know that they turn a lot. And it's always to the left. That's literally all I know. But that's pretty crazy if it's like putting that much force in your body over the course of time. Temperatures also often exceed 100 degrees in the car, reaching up to 170 degrees on the floorboards, which makes drivers lose potentially 5 to 10 pounds in sweat during the course of a race. Because, and I also didn't realize this because I literally have never watched an NASCAR race. Races can usually last between one and a half to four hours. So this is, this is, let's just say like three hours, right? This is three hours where you're in a car that's over 100 degrees, up to 170 degrees Fahrenheit. On every turn, you're experiencing the same amount of force on your body as an astronaut when they're about to go into space. And in one second on straightaways, they're going the length of a football field in one second. That's just kind of mind-blowing to me that like they must be like for crazy like super tired after they get out of the car at the end like it's not they're not just like chilling in there just like you know got the ac on you know cranking up the music <laughs> it's like it's intense um now i'm sure that like you could have the the argument like is it a sport is it not a sport you know all that but all of that aside i'm not going to get into that it's definitely intense and it's definitely like impressive with what they're dealing with um, in the, during the course of a race. So those are my fun facts about NASCAR for this episode. Just thought that was pretty interesting and pretty cool. When I left work today and got in my car, the thermometer said it was 106 in my car. And I was like, oh, this is it's hot as shit in here. And, but, you know, I turned the AC on a couple minutes later. It was all good. I can't imagine that plus 70 degrees for an hour and a half to four hours. That sounds hellish to me. And also, like, this, the speed factor that you mentioned, just, like, the reaction timing that they have to have, like, the processing speed okay, yeah, everyone knows they're about to make a left turn, then another left turn, left turn, left turn, left turn. But the timing with which they have to make those turns has to be pinpoint. So I will give them credit on those fronts, yeah. So, yeah, we're actually giving respect to NASCAR drivers today. So I will say um, another fun fact that I didn't mention, but I'll mention now because you said that. So a study in anticipatory timing found that race car drivers have the same ability to anticipate what was going to happen as a hockey goalie or a quarterback. So that same processing speed of looking at what's happening in front of them, anticipating what's going to happen and reacting accordingly. Same as like a quarterback reading the defense or a hockey goalie, see like determining who's going to take the shot and where it's going to go. That's pretty cool. I mean, I have to ask like which quarterback though, because if it's, if it's like Aaron Rodgers, that's one thing. But if they have the processing speed of like Carson Wentz, then probably not a good NASCAR driver. I was thinking Nathan Peterman. <laughs> if you have the processing speed of Nathan Peterman, 
then you're probably one of those like laboratory mice that like is trying to find cheese in a in a maze. Yeah. Ah, poor guy. <laughs> He's just. It's just never going to get better for Nathan Peterman, I feel like. Um, but he still has a job as a backup quarterback in the NFL, so he must do something behind the scenes that no one else sees That where they're like, yes. Or maybe the NFL is just like, feels bad. Maybe they're like the, maybe he's like the Vanderbilt of the NFL. They're like, well, we'll just like leave you in just so like everybody can make fun of you. Well, I feel like corners and safeties in practice need like reps intercepting balls and taking them back it's just a confidence it's just to boost the defense's confidence during practice it's their version of like alabama with their yearly like oh we're gonna face i don't know chattahoochee state or whatever where they smack them around by 70 points like oh yeah we're that good in the longest yard they call that the tune-up game well practice becomes tune-up the, the tune-up practice yeah um that's pretty funny but yeah that wraps up this segment and also wraps up this episode um we would love to hear from you on what your top five favorite players or f- favorite football players are um and again definitely send in your fantasy team if you want a great name maybe you come up with great names on your own like I, i'm not saying that you don't but if you would like some help i'm here um i'm always available please reach out that social for you is facebook twitter and instagram at mike and dave pod and let us know if there are other takeaways that you have for college football or questions that you have we're always happy to take questions maybe we'll respond to them on social media maybe we'll maybe we'll respond to them in the next episode if we think that this is something that we really need to talk about absolutely uh so yeah that's gonna wrap up this episode episode 10 thanks everybody for sticking around uh and we're looking forward to who knows maybe end up going from double digits to triple digits yeah that's like a long way away but hey you never know so uh but anyways you have to start somewhere exactly so yeah thanks everybody for listening i've been mike and this has been dave and you've been listening to the mike and dave podcast